Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Let's pray. I got 40 minutes to preach a message that I am not just passionate about. I feel like it's one of my life chapters, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, Luke 15. Uh, I think God has a great word for you today. If you are coming in the house today, you got some shame. Luke 15 is for you. If you came in the house today, you just feeling kind of lost and don't know where you're supposed to go. Luke 15 is for you. If you came in the house today and you judged everything, you're really religious. Luke 15 is for you. All right. Yeah, it's going it's to it, it, the scripture comes out the religious hard in Luke 15. And so um, are you ready for the message? All right. Bow your heads. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, I love what your word says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, we have reverence for the one who we pray to right now. God, you're the one that sits on the throne. You're the one that paid the price on the cross. You're the one that conquered the grave. You are the alpha and the omega. So God, we come to you today and simply say this, would you be God? Would you breathe on the message? Would you, would you restore hearts today? Would you save lives today? Would you speak to the grave and call out more Lazaruses today? God, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and you're with the sword. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. And everybody said, turn your Bibles to Luke 15. When I was a young communicator of the gospel, it was really hard to put together a 20-minute message. Like, I got to talk for 20 minutes? Now, our new service times, uh, I'm going to preach for 40 minutes instead of 60 minutes. So it, I've come a long way. I was like, how do I only preach in 40 minutes, God? There's just so much good stuff in this Bible. Um, well, I did it. Miracles are real. I preached in 40 minutes, and God used it. It was powerful. Uh, at least I hope it was. Um, here's, what, um, here's what a theologian said about chapter 15. There is no chapter in the New Testament so well-known and so dearly loved as the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel. It has been called the gospel in the gospel, as if it contained the very distilled essence and the good news that which Jesus came to tell. Are you ready for the good news today? Come on, this is why we're here. Luke 15 says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Who are the sinners, you ask? Anybody who didn't believe in the Jewish rabbi, uh, you know, um, law, uh, anybody who wasn't a believer, and that anybody just who was on the outside, they called them sinners. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Stop. It is significant that Jesus attracted sinners and Pharisees repelled them. That is a significant observation we have right there. If you know anything about the Pharisees, they had a saying. Have you ever heard Jesus uh, say this before? Uh, there is more joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Uh, than when 99 have not strayed. Do you know that statement? It's in Luke 15. Well, here's what the Pharisees would say. Pharisees would say, there'll be more joy in heaven, not over when one sinner repents. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. The Pharisees look forward, to, uh, look forward uh, not to saving, but to destroying the sinner. So the, the Pharisees' mindset, this was the saying they had, there is joy in front of heaven when we obliterate a sinner. That's what they believed. And so they are shocked at this moment because they see Jesus eating with sinners. Now, let's just unpack this. If I was at True Food or McDonald's or wherever, okay, um, we we're going to go to lunch, and you saw me eating with somebody, it does not have the same significance as it did during Jesus' day. Eating with somebody in uh, these times was saying, I embrace you. You're part of the family. I'm with you. I'm rolling with you. If you have a hard day, give me a call. We are in. It is an endorsement. If I have lunch with somebody today, I'd be like, oh, maybe Tyler just met that person. It's, it's all good. But back then, it was a big endorsement saying, hey, you belong before you believe. You ever heard that statement? That's where that comes from in Luke 15, okay? And so uh, I saw this uh, recent study, and I thought it was fascinating. 85% of people who don't know the Lord are open to Jesus now. Isn't that amazing? God's doing something. Now, the number one reason why they won't come to church, though, 
is they say the church is too judgmental. So let's look at this again. The sinners were attracted to Jesus, but they were repelled by the Pharisees. There's way too many Pharisaical churches in America today. What I'm trying to tell you is I'm coming after the Pharisee spirit. We're not going to have that in our house. We're going to have a spirit that loves the Lord and loves people well. We're going to seek and save the lost. If people think different than us, we're going to love them where they're at. But we're going to love them so much, we're going to take them to the promise of who Jesus is. So that's what I'm coming for today. Does that sound good? All right, here we go. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? These three stories are amazing. One is lost because of foolishness, the sheep. One is lost because of carelessness, the lost coin. And then one is lost because of willfulness, the lost son, of course. So you hear this, and Jesus talks about the lost sheep and the shepherd. And he's like, okay, you guys are annoyed that I'm eating lunch with people. Let me tell you why I am. So he shares an illustration about sheep. Now, if you are new to church or you don't really know animals, uh, let me just tell you something. Calling us a sheep is not a compliment. Now, I think sheep are adorable. Who thinks sheep are adorable? They're adorable. You know, look at that sheep. So anyways, but sheep are so, so stupid. Like, like it is, they're one of the dumbest animals there are. Sheep will eat anything and everything. They'll eat anywhere. Sheep will eat grass, but if the grass is gone, they'll eat feces. If you put it in front of them, they will eat it. It's amazing. The world puts things in front of you that you should never eat. That is the feces of this world, and you're eating it. Knock it off, okay? Anyways, sorry, that was shepherd talk. Um, um, Sheep have no compass. They don't know which way to go. They don't have any discernment. uh, Let me put it this way. Their wanter is broken. We're in this series titled, What Jesus Wants. And the reality is, is that your wanter is broken. The things that your flesh wants is not what's going to satisfy your soul. So it wants the wrong thing. So you need a shepherd to actually give you what your soul wants. And so Jesus is saying, every sheep needs a shepherd. And when one is lost, it's going to eat things it shouldn't eat. It's going to be prey to being killed. Here's the deal. Every sheep needs to be rescued and needs to be rescued all the time. And I'm that type of shepherd. I'm down to rescue. I I got a little uh, video I found that I thought was hilarious. It's kind of popular on Instagram a little while ago. Check it out. I'm going to do this. Is this you sometimes? God, please save me. Save me, God. I, got, I, I made a terrible decision. Please save me from this circumstance, God. Save me, God. Thank you, God. Woohoo! I'm saved. Woo! <laughs> Yay! Sheep are stupid. I, wanna, I, 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 I kept it because I want to see the slow-mo. I won't do it again, God. Maybe I will. We can all relate to that. God, will you save me from this circumstance? Thank you, God. And you run to the same thing. Save me from this bad relationship, and you run to the same bad relationship. Save me from this bad rhythm of life, and you run and you jump right into the same thing. Save me from this addiction, and you run to the same thing. And God is constantly rescuing us from the things we jump into. So that's the picture of sheep. Let's let's look um, at one other picture real quick of, of why we need a shepherd so desperately. Uh, you can Google this. It's crazy. Uh, hundreds, sometimes thousands of sheep will just run off a cliff. Why would, why would sheep do that? Because sheep are willing to follow anything and anyone. So if one sheep starts running, the other sheep assumes it's following something, maybe going towards food. So the other sheep starts following to where a whole herd uh, or flock, whatever you call it, uh, sheep, and they start running. So uh, one of the articles I read was 500, literally running. The first one just starts running. And here comes a cliff and it doesn't stop and it runs right off the cliff. And then two sheep. Can you imagine like having a daily stroll and like, are those sheep jumping off the cliff right now? And like, 
Like, it would be like a massacre, okay? It would freak you out. And you would think, you would think after 100 sheep, maybe 200 sheep, and like sheep 230, one of them would turn around and say, this is a bad idea. Turn around. <laughs> I judge you for laughing at the worst joke I've ever done at Mission Church. That's the worst joke, hands down. I don't judge myself for sharing it. I judge you for laughing at it. That is such a bad joke, okay? It's terrible, okay? It's so bad, okay? And if I'm being honest, I mean, I, I sometimes watch the news, and you hear about, like, you know, pileups, like, 17-car pileup. I'm like, time out. I get the first four cars, but what are cars 5 through 17 doing? Like, what's going on up there? Speed up, bomb. You're like, hit the brakes. Catch this real quick. We are at a time in our nation where suicide is at all-time high. Out of the pandemic, one in five people suffered with depression, suicidal thoughts, and anxiety. Now it's one in two. Things are going terrible. You think somebody would say, stop, turn around, stop following the world and its ideology. It only leads to death. Try Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, we're going the wrong way. But people don't have that discerner. They don't have the stop button in their soul, in their flesh. They don't have it. The only one that yells stop is the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to say stop to the ones running to death. I'm sitting with these sinners right now, not to shame them. Why were the sinners attracted to Jesus? He didn't endorse their sin. He actually said, sin no more. Here's what he did. Because he cared for them. He would stop them and literally fix them up and send them towards life. Maybe, just maybe, if we were a church that cared for people, oh, loved them where they were at, ooh, what kind of church would we be? Yeah. I, um, I think about... Uh, the church today, and I think about our lives and how busy we are. I read this book by Ron Swenson titled Margins, and he wrote it, I think it's like maybe 1990s or 80s, but he did this thing. He talked about how uh, when we get dishwashers and ovens and, you know, technology, we're going to have so much time on our hands. <laughs> Wrong! Like, it's the opposite now. We have all these things that, can you imagine, like, back in the day, not having a dishwasher and a washing machine and all the things that just make your life, having a car, like, even those things, like, where did the time go? But we look at our lives and we have no time. I want you to catch it real quick. This is what Jesus says. So he says, I'm the shepherd that looks for the 99. He goes, and when he finds it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What Jesus wants, priorities and passion, is the time of message. And right here, Jesus is sharing the priorities of the kingdom. He's saying, guys, you, you're missing it. My priority is to be with the sinners. You're missing it. You're so busy. You're so busy. This is why I'm alive. This is why I have breath in my lungs. This is why I'm walking the earth right now. I came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19. I um, uh, am a fantasy football general manager. Anybody other fantasy football general managers? My people. Great to see you. We should start a club. Okay. So I've been in a fantasy football league for, gosh, I'm 40 now. So we start, I, 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 maybe 19. I got in this league uh, with all my Piat buddies, Piat Washington, where I'm from, uh, in my early 20s. So we've been in the league for 18 years. And we have four-year contracts, three-year contracts, franchise players. We have... Uh, GM dollars. We have a commissioner. It is intense, okay? Um, I have never won the fantasy football championship in 18 years, okay? It's really embarrassing. Only me and one other guy have not won a fantasy championship. Uh, it's like I'm a pastor and I work on Sundays and I can't watch all the football games. Whatever, okay? Anyways. 
So this, a uh, few weeks ago, there was this Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bagels game, and it was our fantasy football championship weekend. I was fighting for third place, so I was engaged because third place, you get your uh, entry fee money back. It's only $30. We're not playing for the money. We're playing for the Lombardi trophy. We literally made a huge Lombardi trophy, the size of the real one from the NFL. Anyways, I digress. Um, so um, my name's not on there. One day it will be in the name of Jesus. Um, so... This 10-day of prayer and fasting, I've been praying a lot. Lord, give me that trophy. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not even on my list. It's not on my list. So, so we have a big thread of, you know, a lot of the guys in the league, and we're texting. And, and I'll be honest, like, you know, it's like a bunch of your high school buddies. And, you know, it's one of them, you know, my buddy Joey, my buddy Mikey. And they're not called Joey and Mikey anymore. Joey's now Dr. Parker. And then uh, Mike Larson is a CRM guy for World Vision. Like, they got big boy jobs now. Uh, but to me, they'll always be Joey and Mikey. And so in the... Uh, um, in the thread, we're, you know, talking trash about the game coming up. And so we like to text during the football game and, um, the game starts and within a few minutes of the game, there's this tackle and this young man named DeMar Hamlin, uh, it became kind of a nationwide story. If you're not a sports fan, he got hit in the chest and it was a fluke thing. I mean, it happens eight to 10 times a year where his heart was being reset, but he got hit so hard that he went into cardiac arrest. And Joey, who's a, a doctor, literally I go, is he okay? What's wrong? And he literally says what it is. Uh, he could tell right away, and he goes, that man is not alive right now, and they're going to try to resuscitate him. Let's start praying. And the climate of the game and even the thread changed in two seconds, and we just start praying for DeMar. And then you start watching the game, and you're watching the TV, and all these football players who are these gladiators are on their knees weeping, praying for DeMar to live. And in the middle of that moment when they're trying to resuscitate DeMar, and they resuscitate him, get to the hospital, and, you know, get a breathing uh, tube in him, uh, they make a decision within minutes. We're not playing tonight. Football means nothing now. This multi-billion dollar thing that we suit up for and everybody's watching, it's a Monday night game. No other game's going on. Millions of dollars in advertisements. It's a billion dollar uh, company. We don't care about the game anymore. We only care about tomorrow. We're not playing. Not only are we not playing, we're not gonna replay this game this year because we don't even wanna practice the, the next few days. We just wanna make sure tomorrow's okay. And within seconds, I watched this um, this group of men who cared about only one thing, their priorities changed within one second because life and death was on the line. I turn on the TV the next day, and on ESPN, uh, ESPN sport anchors are praying for DeMar to be healed on TV. I've never seen anything like this. A Fox Sports uh, guy, I was watching a, a talk show about it, and it goes, when that happened, my wife started praying, and I'm not a believer, and I was jealous because I didn't know what to do at that moment, but she knew what to do. I'm watching people talk about God and prayer on TV because one man almost died. It changed everybody's priority for a couple days. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, there are dead people around you and you're so busy and you need to reschedule your priorities. Yeah. Open your eyes. And if you start opening your eyes and you see what I see, you would live your life completely different. It would become a priority in your life. It would reshake. Fantasy football championships wouldn't, we, we actually just called it a tie that, that year. We're like, who cares about fantasy football? A man almost died, just a tie, you know? So I guess I've tied for a championship. Thank you so much. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so my, my, my hope today is that when you, if you're a believer in the house, you should always think about the cross and the grave. And that death should change your priorities every day. That death on the cross and that empty grave should make you go, why am I alive? Why is there breath in my lungs? May we have a church that has great priorities. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Um, next one is the lost coin, the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she would call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Another picture of Jesus sharing, context of it, the silver coins. It can represent two things um, in the context of the scripture, if you're going to try to pull out the context and exegete it. One is a silver coin is worth a day's wage, so it just has monetary value. But 10 is a very interesting number to use. You would get 10 gold rings when you were betrothed to marry somebody. So if you want to show that you're betrothed, you want to show that you're taking, it's, a very, it's the most precious thing to you, you would not want to lose one because nine does not mean 10 and nine means something completely different. And so uh, the woman loses one of the 10 and she has to find it. And she is passionate. She lost something she cared about. Let's play the, um, let's, let, let's have a little test real quick. Let's play the loss test. If you were upset that your political candidate lost in this last election, do not raise your hand. Time out, okay. <laughs> that was close. You get crazy in church real quick. You voted for what? You know, I mean, all kinds of, on both ends. Okay, whatever. So if you were upset about your political candidate losing, you're passionate about it. People are so passionate about politics now. If, you, if, if the Niners lose today, are you going to be upset? Raise your hand. Oh, only four of you? Yeah, right. Bunch of liars in the house. Oh, five. I see another one. Okay. Six, seven. There we go. Let's have some honesty in the house. Okay. Um, eight, nine. Okay, ten, eleven. Okay, there we go. Okay. So if the Niners lose, it affects you when, you, when, when, when there's a loss of a promotion, a loss of maybe your reputation. Like, like it affects you, and you do things to get it back. Like, like when, when you lose something, like you just don't stay stale to it or numb to it. It literally affects your emotions. It affects how you're going to spend energy the next day. If somebody stole your car and you lost your car, would that upset you? Raise your hand. Okay, we're, there are more, more hands. Okay, well, honesty is more prevalent in the house today. Okay, good. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. But somebody who doesn't know the Lord and who's lost and is living in death, does it bother you? Does it get in your soul? Were you just as frustrated the night the election if your, your candidate didn't win? Were you just as frustrated when your team lost at the last buzzer beater? Were you, were you that angry? Were you that upset when you got passed over promotion? You're like, I should have been the one promoted. Were you that upset when somebody betrayed you and maybe said somebody's name and you lost some of your reputation? Were you that upset? And what Jesus is trying to do is saying, I want my passion in my people's heart. I want them that upset. I want them so, because one is on the outside and the other passion is on the inside. It's in a house. It's saying, don't lose your passion in the house. Do you see the picture? Hey, if the house starts to lose its passion for the loss, you better turn some things upside down. You better start working to get it back again. I um, uh, worked at a church uh, as a youth pastor, young adult pastor, and I didn't grow up in church. I remember getting, you know, rededicating my life. My grandma led me to the Lord at four. Started going to church when I was 16. And the first church I went to, and they loved the lost. When people were getting saved every Sunday. They would celebrate it. I saw it go from 200 in a school to 3,000. And then I ended up moving to California Bible School, working for another church. And I thought every church was like my first church. Just so hungry to see people come to know Jesus. And then I went to other churches and I realized they weren't all hungry to see people come to Jesus. And so the third church I worked at, I remember, you know, I was a young adult pastor and youth pastor. And we went to a, um, a wedding. And we're at this wedding and um, I worked at this church I worked at. Uh, they were, um, you were like not allowed to drink alcohol at all as a staff member. Like get assigned like a covenant sheet. And so um, I wasn't you know, allowed to drink alcohol. This church, you're allowed to have a glass of wine. You're welcome. Amen. Okay, anyways. Um, 
You may have a glass of wine, but not get drunk. That's a, another sermon, but okay, there you get it. Um, or a glass of beer, whatever, you get it, okay? Um, or a cocktail. Why am I saying all the drinks? I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, anyways. hey um, Okay, so... So this church, no, not, not, not a lot. So I, you know, um, and uh, at that time I didn't drink alcohol anyways because my family was a family of alcoholics. So I thought alcohol was like the most evil thing anyway. So I didn't drink. Um, but we had about 25 young adults. And three of them came up to me and said, hey, Tyler, uh, it's an open bar. Can I have a glass of wine? And I was like, yeah, you can have a glass of wine. Like, will you drink one in honor of me and tell me how the cab is? You know what I'm saying? Like, like stand in proxy for me. Okay. And so, so three of them have a glass of wine. And that's it. It's 25 of us, own bar at a wedding, we're hanging out, uh, we're all, you know, sitting at a table, one of our friends were getting married, and then the, the dance started, and, you know, they turn on, yeah, yeah, you know, little, little usher, and all of us go out there, I'm gonna be honest, like, our young adults, we love to dance, so I got a napkin, I'm starting to dance, yeah, 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 and then I do this thing, I call it the yo-yo, I'm like, yeah, 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 and then I do it to my friends, and then it pushes them back, I'm like, yeah, 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 so we got a whole crowd, so, I mean, we're having a great time, I mean, I'm popping, and I'm locking, I mean, I'm doing everything, okay, I, I, I was built to dance, Six four. Big dumb animal, built like a giraffe. It's a lot to move here, you know what I'm saying? All right. When I start to spin, I mean, everybody get out the way, okay? So, so we're having a blast. I, got, I, I always dance with a napkin because if I'm not doing like one of my famous moves, like throw the ball up, catch the ball, throw it up, catch the ball. Like, it just depends what I'm doing. If I don't have that, I just have my napkin and I'm just going a little side to side. I'll whip the, I'll whip the napkin around a little bit. Um, anyways, so... So come on, other young adults are like, oh, napkins are cool. My pastor has a napkin. So they start tying napkins over their heads. And like, we're just goofing off, having the best time celebrating somebody we love who got married. Go to the uh, work the next uh, Tuesday. It was, the wedding was like on a Friday, Saturday. So Tuesday, I show up, Monday was my day off. And my phone is just bleeping red. Just bleep, 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 bleep. I was like, dang, like, I got a lot of messages today. I had like 14 phone calls. I'm like, oh, what, did I miss something? First phone call. Pastor Tyler, I need to talk to you. I'm very concerned. Please call me back. I'm like, well, okay. Next one. Pastor Tyler, I am stressed out. I, I'm, what I witnessed, we need to talk. Like, oh, okay, okay. Third one. Pastor Tyler, please call me. I, I am so upset. Okay. Pastor Tyler, I'm so, like, over and over again, the same thing. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. What is going on? Call me. I set up four meetings and eight phone call things within the next couple of days. First meetings in person. And a, a gal sits next to me, uh, in front of me, next to me, hello, um, <laughs> sits in front of me in my office. Uh, she's, a, she's, a, uh, she's a pastor on staff, and uh, she'd been there for, you know, th- uh, 30 years, and she goes, I was just so upset at the wedding. I was like, why? 25 of our young adults were blitzed, drunk. They were, they were inebriated, Tyler, at the wedding. I was like, no, they weren't. Only three had a glass of wine. And one of them had a glass of wine because I asked them to drink it in honor of me to let me know how it was. You know, and, uh, and she goes, did you not see them on the dance floor with you? And I was like, yes, that's just us dancing. Nobody was drunk. And they were like, that's not possible. Nobody dances like that without being drunk. <laughs> I literally was like, I'll dance like right now for you like that. i show you I can dance like that when I'm not drunk. So the word got like somebody at the wedding just, all of them are drunk. Look at them dancing. They're all drunk. Oh, Martin. So the, the, the perception and the assumption became everybody thought all the young adults were drunk and they're dancing the wedding. And so then I had another meeting, same thing, another meeting. And I'm gracious for the first four. 
Even the first, like, nine, I was pretty gracious. But meeting 10, 11, and 12, they got a different Tyler. <laughs> Number 10, I was like, okay, can I, I, can I just stop you? I was like, can I just stop you right there? First of all, nobody was drunk. I sat at the two tables. I saw everybody the whole night. Three people had a glass of wine. That was it. Here's the deal. I've been here for a year and a half. And I, you are my 10th meeting. I have two more after this. And I've never had phone calls calling me saying, I'm concerned. We're in L.A. Churches are closing. 70% are closing at a rapid rate. Nobody's coming to church anymore. Uh, people are walking away from God. How do we save the lost? I never get that phone call. Never get that meeting set up. But I go to one wedding, and you see me do the magic yo-yo, and you think everybody's blitzed. You see one of my young adults with a bandana a napkin on their head, and you think he's drunk? It's called trying to impress a girl. I said, I'm so upset. I don't even have to do with this conversation. I said, maybe, just maybe, let's have more talks about actually how to reach the lost, not because you got set off because you thought somebody was drunk today. And if I'm being honest, you got to ask yourself, what sets you off? What gets you angry? You come in, I don't like how they open service. Okay. Rachel sent out an email. Oh, I got to tell you this. Okay. Rachel sent out an email. It was year one. And she wrote an email, buckle up. We have a lot of things coming. You know, it's like, and it was like, uh, you know, small groups, da, da, da. And the person wrote back in the email, gosh darn you slapstick churches and you slapstick pastors. You're the reason why people are going to hell. I said, Rachel, what did you write in the email? <laughs> I pulled the email up. And we came to the conclusion, she didn't like, buckle up. <laughs> buckle up. We got a lot of things coming. She's like, nobody used the word buckle up with me, buddy, you know. So Rachel's like, what do I do with this, you know, like. And I was like, simple, block, you know. <laughs> the things that set Pharisees off. I'm not even going to say you Christian. The thing that sets the Pharisee spirit off. I thought the music was too loud. I thought that, that's what's setting your spirit off right now? Not like, oh my gosh. People are in the house worshiping God. Oh, I saw somebody get saved today. But your preferences own you. And so you worship preference instead of God and saving his people. And my prayer is, is that a Pharisee spirit would never take root in this church. We're a baby church. We're seeing people get saved in the droves. In the droves, there's been over 100 salvations since December. It's been amazing. And then, yeah, you can celebrate that. Sorry. No time to clap. I'm preaching. I'm just kidding. So, it's like the one thing we're supposed to celebrate. So, Anyways, catch this. Have you, I think most of us could say this, have you ever had that moment where you bragged about a restaurant to your friend? Like, oh, this, this, like you go to your hometown, you gotta come to this restaurant. Yeah. It's the best restaurant. So Rachel and I get married. I'm from Puyallup. You know, she's from LA. And so like I'm sharing her, with her in Washington the best restaurants of my childhood. So I take her to this place called The Ram. And we go to The Ram. And I mean, it might as well have been like Applebee's, but worse. I mean, they just slammed down some food on the table. And I remember Rachel like, being like, this was your favorite restaurant in Piala? And I was like, get your judgmental eyes off me, lady. But then I looked at it, and I was like, I don't know what happened, Rachel. This place used to be amazing. We packed out after our basketball games. We packed out on Friday nights. Like, this was the spot. And the reality is it, it got new management. It, it was sold to another management company. There's about seven of them. It was locally owned. The owner owned it, and they were passionate about making the best burgers in town, and they'd have all these fun appetizers, and then management bought it because they wanted to franchise it, and they didn't care anymore about what was being served. They just cared about making money. 
And so, I mean, I could go off and on and on. I mean, I remember, I used to think Applebee's was good. Panera used to be better. Can we agree with that? That's a long, okay, yeah, thank you, thank you. There's passion in the house. Um, one restaurant that has never lowered the bar, though, Olive Garden. Yeah. You can clap for Olive Garden. Be like, nah, I don't feel comfortable clapping for Olive Garden. It's good discernment, good discernment, okay. Olive Garden has been the same standard since I've been a little kid. Those breadsticks, mwah, fantastic, hallelujah, okay? That's my, uh, that's my Italian hallelujah, okay? The breadsticks are amazing, okay? The Alfredo sauce, oh, n- second to none, okay? I love going to Olive Garden, hollowing out the breadstick, filling up the Alfredo sauce, and then taking a bite. It's my own personal um, invention. You're welcome, okay? Um, how to raise your blood pressure in two simple steps. Um, I don't go to Olive Garden much more because it's pretty unhealthy, but uh, I have been dreaming about it since I started fasting. Um, we were playing on staff, like, what restaurant do you think I'm dreaming about right now? And, like, Lisa Blower's like, Olive Garden. I was like, yes! You know, and then, I, and then Rachel walked up, like, Rachel, what restaurant do you want to go to right? She's like, Olive Garden. I was like, yes! But imagine Olive Garden getting a new chef. And me bragging, and you never heard Olive Garden. I'm like, their breadsticks are amazing. They come out fresh, all, and never-ending breadsticks. And, and the server comes and just slams these stale breadsticks down. And then brings this watery Alfredo sauce. And I tell you, no, you don't understand. Years ago, this was the freshest bread and the greatest delicious sauce. And I said, what happened? We got a new chef. And the chef doesn't care anymore. Can you imagine the disciples? James, John, Peter. Can you imagine the early apostles in the book of Acts? coming to church today and telling people you got to come check out the church. This thing changed the world. It turned the empire upside down. The most powerful emperor could not stop the church. you got to check this out. And then walking in the American church today going, what happened? We got a new chef and it's called preference. We got a new chef and it's called religion. We got a new chef and it's called consumerism. We should never, ever allow anybody to cook here except Jesus. We are the sous chef. We say, yes, chef. You got it, chef. Understand, chef. We will make what you want us to make. Can I get a man for that? When you stop to evangelize, you begin to fossilize. When you stop caring about the lost, the churches get stale. We forget about what people are going through. We don't even know how to pray for the lost. We, we get more dis- we, the, the world becomes 2D instead of 3D. We have to evangelize. Now let's get to the, um, the pinnacle of the, the teaching, and it's the prodigal son story. And to be honest, it shouldn't be called the parable, parable of the prodigal son. Um, Jesus didn't title it that. Just a lot of Bibles say parable of the prodigal son. It should be called either uh, the father's love, because it's all about the father in there, or the parable of the two sons. Because you see here, there's two sons in this story. One is lost in his badness, and one is lost in his goodness. And so the father shares the story of the Pharisees saying, hey, you think you're found? No, they're just as lost as you are, but you're lost in your goodness, and they're lost in their badness. Let me show you. And so he shares a story. Let's look at it. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him uh, this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want uh, my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. 
I would go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. Everybody say love. love. Compassion. compassion. When you're in the church today, you know, when Jesus looks at you, he's filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate. We must celebrate with a feast. C.S. Lewis said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that you said we must celebrate. This is serious business. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So let the party begin. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. He returned home. He heard music dancing in the house. You know the story, the, son is, the older son is upset, tells him, hey, I, I don't understand why you're celebrating him. I've been here the whole time. And here's, uh, here's what he uh, says to him. Uh, the father says, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time you never gave me uh, even one young goat, uh, a goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when his son, with this son of yours comes back, he doesn't even say my brother. He doesn't like associate, like he pushes them away. He doesn't have any relation. He's almost like he's cut off his emotional uh, understanding of who he's connected to. Uh, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. First of all, never said he was uh, squandering prostitutes. He just assumes prostitutes. Pharisees be assuming all kinds of bad things. And they're like, it never, nowhere else in the story to say there's prostitutes. But the, brother, the elder brother's like, he's, he's probably doing the prostitute stuff and drinking and everything. Just like the people at the wedding who thought we were drunk. Interesting. Assume the worst. I digress. Okay, anyways. Um, yet when his son of yours came back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look to your son. You have always uh, stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Give you a couple quick uh, little thoughts. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. The prodigal son, I just got to touch real quick. The word prodigal means the wasteful son. And my prayer to you today is if you are a prodigal son, and our prodigal daughter, and you have literally walked away willingly, but today you're coming to your senses, I pray that you'd waste no more time in your life. Yeah. I pray that you would waste no more time of saying, am I allowed to come back? I cast shame right out, out right now. If, you, if shame's holding you back, you need to know something. Shame has no place at the cross. You are good. You are golden. You are yeah. forgiven. And so, so if you're a prodigal in the house, when I give the altar call today, give Jesus a shot. Yeah. Second thing is, I want to look at the Father. It says he was filled with love and compassion. I wrote it down. The world will teach you misery, but the Father will teach you mercy. You live for the world, you'll just know misery after misery. But you live for God, you'll understand mercy like you never understood mercy before. The Bible says in Romans 2 that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. Second thing I want you to see in the scripture, it says he ran to his son. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, there is a law. The law says that if you dishonor your family... And the prodigal son did that and some. You should be stoned to death. Father knows the rule. The son even knows the rule. And the village knows the rule. And so you got to understand the moment and the climax of this story is the son is walking back to the father. And the father sees him in far off. And if you know anything about context, men did not run like with the robes. You would have to pull it up and you would not look dignified. It was... Not a good look. It was actually bringing shame on yourself. It's a lot of picture there. It's, it's an allusion even to the cross. It points to the cross of Jesus brought on shame on himself, so we'd have shame not on us. So the Father's bringing shame on him in the community of running and sprinting with the robe up. Why is he running and sprinting and risking everything? 
Because the father knows if my love doesn't get to him first, the law will kill him. And the reality is, is that the Bay Area does not need the law to get to them, but it needs the love of God to get to them. And if Christians were sprinting to the Bay Area and saying, I don't want law, I don't want shame, I don't want preference, I want the love of God. Maybe just maybe if we were willing to look a little silly and risk a little bit more and allow love to get to people, what could happen? So the father sprints and says, I need love to get to him, not the law. If you know the story, the son starts to talk and say, hey, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And he's going to do his pitch, like, let me be a servant. And before he can even give his pitch of being a servant, the father says, quick, grab the calf, give him a ring, put my robe on him. The ring representing give him my authority again and give him my identity again. Oh, and that calf I've been feeding for the last year, just believing and believing that he's going to come home, it's time to um, kill the calf and make some ribeyes, some filet mignons, maybe some tri-tip. I don't know about you, but some of you have been praying for people. I, I didn't share this in the first service, but I feel like I need to share this in this service. Some of you have been waiting for somebody you love to come home. Yeah. Just keep fattening the calf. Keep feeding prayer. Yeah. Keep feeding faith. Keep feeding your spirit and saying, God, when they come home, I'm going to celebrate with them. There is preparation in the return. Yeah. And last but not least, there's this elder brother in it. And it's very striking if you read Luke 15 all in once. You see seeking of a sheep. You see seeking of a lost coin. But then the last story, what is lost is there is no seeking. There's only complaining. The brother's complaining, not seeking. And you see, like, well, is the, was the son supposed to come home? And, you know, theologians will, you know, try to unpack. Well, it shows that the God is sovereign, but also you have free will to come back. And, and that's a whole other story and a whole other debate. But, but what they all land on, contextually and historically and even theologically, is that if you know anything about the story of this, and the Pharisees would have known this, is that the father and the oldest son were basically just as responsible for things. The, the eldest son got a double portion of the goods, but the eldest son's main responsibility was to keep the family together, to make sure the household was ran well. So if a loved one did leave, it was the eldest son's responsibility to go sprint and go get the brother. But the eldest son was so all about his own self-righteousness. He was diligent. He was a hard worker, but he did not love his father and love his brother at all. And a lot of Pharisees, they're very good at like being diligent and following the rules, but they're not very good at loving God and loving people. And so the picture that Jesus is trying to show real quick is he goes, I'm the elder brother. I'm the one who's willing to leave heaven and go get the lost brother. Because all of us were the lost brother. And the Pharisees, this is when they get really mad and want to kill him for it. Because they feel like they're doing everything great. They're like, no, you're acting like the older brother. You're lost in your goodness. Mission Church, may we never be lost in our goodness. May we never be lost in our badness. But may we actually be found in his love. And what gets to us must get through us. Can I get an amen for that? Will you bow your heads? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church. And you just felt this tug on your heart this morning. Just something on your heart. You said, man, I, I want to say yes to Jesus today. My friend invited me. Maybe a friend invited you. And, and maybe you walked away from the Lord. You want to rededicate your life. But you felt the tug. Say, man, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to say yes to salvation. The Bible is very clear that we must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And we'll be saved. So the way we do that here is we respond with a hand saying, God, I say yes to you today. I respond to what you did on the grave. Uh, you emptied it, to what you did on the cross. So you want to say yes to salvation. Yes to blessing, no to cursing. Yes to heaven, no to hell. With every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus. On the count of three, raise your hand and catch my One, two. Three, raise it up and raise it up. I want to say yes to Jesus. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you. That's a great decision. 
Keep them up on the right and left. I want to say, you want to say yes to Jesus. I see you on the far back. God bless you. Anybody else? My right, your left. You want to say yes to Jesus? It's a great decision. Come on, four people said yes to Jesus. We can clap for that. Come on now. There's more joy in heaven. Come on. You go and stand up. I want to pray for you. We're going to pray a prayer together. It's just a sinner's prayer. Uh, it's the best prayer you could ever pray if you've never prayed before. Uh, repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life today. I declare you are my Savior. You are my Lord. I say goodbye to my past and say hello to my promises. Jesus, lead me. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.